Welcome to the Creek Default Podcast, where we discuss the latest news, laws, and trends affecting your industry. Welcome back to the Creek Default Podcast. I'm your host, George Lepinotis. I'm joined today by my partner, Brandon Shirley. Brandon, thank you for being with us. Happy to be here. Thank Brandon, you. tell the listeners, you've, you've done a podcast with us before, but just briefly, tell us a little bit about your practice. Uh, the easiest way to explain it is I'm a healthcare regulatory lawyer. All right. Uh, I don't go into courts. I don't sue people, but I try to keep people out of trouble. There you go. And predominantly, you represent healthcare providers. That's correct. As we look at being a healthcare provider nowadays, uh, the regulations that apply to these folks has drastically changed in the past even 10 years, right? Yes. Um, the Affordable Care Act being one of the big shifts in that regime. But, but even beyond that, there's always new regulations. And that's actually what we're here to talk about today, isn't it? That's right. So, all right. So let's talk about it. what is the change that is being proposed or is it actually been enacted? It's uh, currently being proposed. And the comment period is open for at least another few weeks. All right. Uh, but it'll be then taken into consideration and... Someday, maybe never, <laughs> enacted. Yeah, yeah. And what is it? So it, it boils down to uh, what are Medicare overpayments, essentially. And I'm specifically talking about Medicare overpayments. Uh, when I say overpayments, first of all, just to get a couple terms out of the way, yep. uh, it's there's this federal definition of it, of which is you know any payments you receive that you shouldn't have. Uh, and that's a broad statement. And usually, in most cases, what that boils down to is you didn't follow the rules for billing. You know, a physician should have done a service and someone who wasn't a physician did it. Or you should have billed this code and you build that code. And whenever you do these things, uh, as a Medicare provider, um, you are generating an overpayment. You're getting paid when you shouldn't have. And when you're dealing with government payers, there are substantial consequences to keeping money that the government doesn't think you should keep. Okay. And that's what this rule is getting at. Well, you're opening up a lot of questions for me because uh, okay. I am thinking about this now. So let's back up here. Sure. I'm a pediatrician and I'm running behind on any given Thursday. Mm -hmm. And I happen to see a Medicaid patient, although maybe does Medicaid apply to children? Yes. Okay. So mm -hmm. I happen to see a Medicaid patient. And because I was busy, I asked my nurse to take the temperature or the blood pressure mm -hmm. and that gets billed through to Medicaid and it really should have been me the doctor that did that service mm -hmm. so I get this Medicare payment maybe I don't even know that I made a mistake in that process are you saying that the burden is on the payee to identify his own his or her own mistake and then report it back to Medicare yes so we, we can I can pull apart your example, but I won't get finicky about it. Sure. Uh, in your example, let's just say it was all done wrong. Yeah. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? Mm -hmm. It was all done wrong. Uh, so, yes, uh, your the onus is on Medicare, Medicaid providers both, to have a compliance program that is constantly looking at its own errors and own problems. And they need to self, when they self-identify, issues, they have an obligation, a duty to report that, or they can face False Claims Act liability for not. Which is a pretty 
hardcore liability. False Claims Act are are, are not minor allegations against someone. They're not. There's uh, there's you know what they call treble damages. So whatever the amount of payment you got and kept times that by three. Uh, as far as a civil penalty, and then you have all kinds of sanctions and other uh, right. things that come on top of that. Okay, so that I'm, I'm, if I'm understanding you at a very high level, and for our listeners who are either in the healthcare industry, our providers themselves, and are considering options, it's fair to say that if you accept Medicare payments, you are subject to these regulations, correct? Yes, that is absolutely correct. All right. And so as a participating provider, is that, is that the right phrase? Mm-hmm. You have an obligation to establish a self-review protocol, a, a, an assurance protocol that reviews your billings to Medicare to make sure that they were done correctly, even after they were done? Yes. Interesting. And how long does that duty continue? Uh, it's ongoing. Uh, with with respect to payments you've received and shouldn't have received, if you find those, you have to go back six years and say, have we been making this mistake for the past six years? And if you have, you have to repay all of that six years back. You could be talking about thousands, if not millions of dollars. Often millions of dollars. Yeah. Interesting. And so what a what what was what brought about this rule change and what is different from the prior rule? How what was the prior rule? Okay. So in in 2014 and 2016, uh, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services passed two rules. One was for Part A and Part B providers, which are, you know, Part A, Part B are your Part B is your physicians, clinicians. Part A is your hospitals, facilities. Uh, C and D are your like insurance plans and your drug. This is the drug benefit. And with respect to both of those rules, uh, CMS passed a, a law that was enacting a provision of the Affordable Care Act. That provision of the Affordable Care Act created what's called Reverse False Claims Act liability, and it's it's a funny term because. It's basically saying, the Affordable Care Act said, if you have identified, air quotes, an overpayment, and you keep it for longer than 60 days, that is, you don't report it to the federal government or in return it, you incur False Claims Act liability, and you can be prosecuted under the False Claims Act for keeping it. Sure, but that's when you realize you've done it. Yes. Okay. So the key term is identified. Right. So what CMS did, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, is they went in and said, okay, we're going to explain what identification is. We're going to explain what this process is. And essentially, they said, uh, in a roundabout way, the key provisions and the ones that issue in this rule, they said, you have identified an overpayment if you have either determined that you have one or uh, determined through the exercise of reasonable diligence uh, or, sorry, that you should have determined through the exercise of reasonable diligence right. that you received one. So if you have identified it positively, or if you should have, if, if, a, if under reasonable circumstances you should have known that you got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
This is starting to get interesting. I mean, it's already very interesting. I, I'm thinking of the title to this episode, and it's got to be something like shocking CMS rule. Mm-hmm. When we think about our clients, our healthcare providers, um, what is it that that is reasonable on that you should have reasonably known that you received this? What? Where does that, who defines what is a reasonable action that a provider should be taking? So uh, there's a couple of, of uh, guidance posts for this. Uh, one of them was this interesting case uh, in New York. Um, I think it was Kane v. Health First, where they, the, the judge got into this right as this rule was coming out. And on the one end of the spectrum said, doing nothing at all that's unacceptable, that's not reasonable diligence. And then you had CMS coming in with their guidance in in the uh, preamble of their rule, these rules, they said, we consider it reasonable to take up to six months to investigate this. So you find out, we have an issue. You say, we think this issue's associated with improper payments. Clock starts ticking. And CMS said, you should get this done, this investigation done in in six months' time. That's reasonable. Add two more months on top of that to report and return it to us. So that has been, for the past six years, what uh, clients have relied on in in knowing, okay, we have an overpayment, we've got some time, six months is plenty, hopefully for most, for us to return this uh, to the government without incurring any False Claims Act liability. What the rule does, the new rule that they proposed, is they've gotten rid of this um, this uh, reasonable diligence standard. And the reason is CMS um, lost a litigation where uh, some <clears throat> Part C, I think, insurance plans were saying there's no negligence standard in the False Claims Act. So this... <laughs> What essentially the False Claims Act is, it's it's a knowing it's mens rea, standard. Yeah, right? it goes to the intent. You, you, need, you need to think and know that you are committing this false claim. Right. Okay. So yeah. that's always been clear in the, in the False Claims Act. What, what CMS did is they said, well, and what these, these insurance plans essentially argued was they said, you're creating a negligence standard for False Claims Act liability with your rules. And, and the reason that's important is how can you prosecute someone for a knowing standard when it's the negligence standard is less than that? Sure. You should have done something and you didn't. Now you're getting subject to False Claims Act liability. And the judge agreed. The judge said, you know, CMS, you don't have authority to amend the False Claims Act with this negligence standard. Right. So CMS said, fine, uh, we will take out this reasonable diligence standard from both the Part A, Part B, and the Part C and D rules and go back to what the language says. And this is where it gets sticky. It now says you've identified the overpayment um, when you have actual knowledge of it or you act in reckless disregard of, uh, or deliberate ignorance of the overpayment. So reckless disregard or deliberate indifference is now the new standard that they hope to promote in this rule. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay, all right. Reckless disregard is a higher standard, in fact, than Negligent. Right. 
All right. So isn't that helping the provider? Isn't that lower? Isn't that lowering the risk of liability? It's it's cre- it's it's rewriting what everyone expected, or kind of how people had grown accustomed to this rule. For instance, um, if you have identified an overpayment by having knowledge of it, what do you do when you, in your scenario, we, we talk about the doctor who comes in and, and his, his nurse is doing services for him the wrong way. And you know that, uh, you find out that, and you say, okay, this, this particular claim shouldn't have been paid, but this doctor's been doing it for five years. Right. Um, have you identified an overpayment? Because you've identified one claim that shouldn't have been paid, but you haven't identified the entire overpayment. So does your clock start ticking, your 60-day clock start ticking on the day of the claim, and you repay that one claim? How much time do you have to investigate five years' worth of this doctor's billings when you have arguably already identified the overpayment? Well, so that's the uncertainty. The, this investigation period, I think, is cast into question with this new rule. Okay. But even more so to me, and maybe this existed in the previous rule, so it's not as big of a change, but as you talk about it here, where, where I get very curious, especially as we start to introduce reckless versus negligent standards, is at what point is the provider obligated to diagnose, no pun intended, their own business practices. And what I mean by that is back to my example where the nurse is providing services that she, uh, per CMS rules, I'm assuming, uh, should not have been providing, right? These are CMS rules that that Medicaid promotes and, and, and spells out to its providers. Is that right? Right. Okay. And so they say in order to bill for for that particular code, a doctor needs to provide it. And the doctor has not been providing it. Let's say that the doctor works at a mid-sized group in Indianapolis. Does that group have an obligation to establish a constant monitoring system to watch all of its operations to ensure that everything they do complies with CMS? Uh, well, a couple things. Is it reckless disregard? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it, the, the Department of Justice has published uh, manuals that say, here's what we expect from a compliance standpoint. And those are widely available. <clears throat> uh, it's the seven elements of an effective compliance program. And they've said, if you're doing these things, we will go easy on you, basically. So it is... By virtue of that being in the in the world, it's expected that people are following the rules, right. watching their billings. <clears throat> uh, you can also consider it a term of any provider agreement that they will, you know, make sure they're submitting claims that are accurate. All right. Well, I just took a big breath there because that that's that's a good thing. So what you're saying is that there are programs in place and there is advice that you can give your clients to ensure that their compliance programs are robust enough that even if mistakes are in fact happening, they may never even be judged by that reckless disregard statute mm-hmm. or uh, standard. Right. Right. That, that would be the hope. Yeah. But unlike other this rule, unlike the previous rule, CMS has not explained anything. Yeah. They have not uh, said 
what you know what the whether there's a six month period they have not said what reckless disregard is we don't know how they're going to treat uh these new requirements and how what kind of flexibility they're going to give providers to really investigate their own uh, issues and i'm assuming the fear becomes that they're the flexibility standards change on a case-by-case basis depending on the amount of money at stake correct which could put a provider in a bad spot correct well, even more reason to look you up, Brandon. <laughs> well, so. and, and I'll just say this, too. To, it's an important distinction to make. These rules only apply to Medicare. The CMS said in their first rule, these are not Medicaid rules. States can set their own Medicaid rules. Right. So typically, you know, like Indiana hasn't been very clear on this same standard. And as a rule of thumb, we've tended to follow what Medicare is doing. That's what a lot of people do. So another open question is, is as states have adopted or other states have done what CMS did, are they too going to change their rules and right. have the same standard? How is that? How is what CMS is doing interplaying with what you have for Medicare, Medicaid overpayments and, and obligations to refund payments? Yeah. yeah very fascinating. Very in-depth. I'd imagine that's... Um, exactly the reason why uh, your practice is thriving and why it's important that um, providers out there are seeking legal counsel from uh, attorneys like you. Uh, for more information on just that, what uh, on Brandon's practice, um, uh, please refer to our website at craigdevault.com where you can learn more about Brandon and what it is that uh, he does to help protect his clients from some crazy rules, Brandon. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks to you guys for listening. Have a great day.